We're in today. We're going to take a break from, <clears throat> excuse me, where Pastor Mike uh, normally is. He's going through the Book of Romans, but as you know, as we do uh, Calvary Chapel, we just go line upon line, book upon book. So, uh, because I'm the youth pastor, I'm going to take us right through where we're at as a youth. Uh, we're going on Sundays through the Book of Luke, and we'll finish off today in Luke chapter six. So next week in youth, we'll start Luke chapter seven, uh, just like pastors going through. Roman. So we'll, we'll take a quick break from that. He's enjoying some time with family up north, so he'll be back next Sunday uh, to pick up in his Made Right series. Um, so uh, just before we jump into the message today, I, I want to do justice in what we talked about last week because it ties into the flow here of what we're going to be going through today. So last week when we were in uh, Luke with the youth group, we were going from verse 20 to 36. So it's taken us about three weeks to get through uh, Luke chapter 6. And we talked about the kingdom of God and how it's different than what the world's kingdoms are. What do I mean by that? So let me give you three examples on how the kingdom of God, on how what God expects of us, how what he, he uh, instructs us to handle situations, uh, how that's completely different than what the world would say. So for instance, when the world screams revenge, something happens and they want revenge, what does God instruct us to do as believers, as Christians? Forgiveness. When the world demands justice, what does God tell us? Tell us? What does he instruct us? That vengeance is whose? His. He teaches us patience. When the world says, I hate you, which we know that the world will do because God promised it. He said the world will hate you because of who I am, because of my name. So when the world says, I hate you, and the world says, I hate them, or that group, what are we called to do? To pray for them, to love them. So it's completely different than what the world would expect us to do. Do you see what I'm saying? So it's like the upside down kingdom of God, or rather, this world is the upside down, and his is the right way, the way it's supposed to be. We talked about uh, blessings for those who were uh, broken hearted about the condition of our world that, that led, led, leads us to pray, to seek God's desire, to seek his will, to seek, seek his righteousness. We also talked about a study that was performed, and this was just in the United States, really of U.S. adults, that looked at how many people in the United States claim to be a Christian. So what do you guys think as far as the percentage of population, obviously 100% being everybody in the United States, what do you think that number was of people that claim to be Christian? I heard 80, 70, 69%. 179 million people, roughly 69% claim to be Christian. Now, of those 69% or 179 million people, about 6%, listen to this, about 6% say that God's word is true, accurate, the standard of truth and morality and relevant for today, 100%. So that's 94% of people uh, that claim to be Christian would say that maybe not all of it, maybe that part's not relevant anymore. And I'll tell you, that's a lie from the pit of hell. God's truth doesn't change. His love doesn't change. The Bible says he's the same yesterday, today, and forever. And we were talking about that uh, last week. We were also talking about uh, the blessings 
that Jesus has promises us and, and uh, how we should desire for God's will and for his righteousness. Looking at that statistic, though, that 175 million or 69%, does it make sense then that why we're seeing today people stand up here at a pulpit or they uh, go behind their keyboard on social media and start preaching something different? They start talking about something different. That's the beautiful thing. And we'll talk about this today too. That's a beautiful thing about God's word is it's available for who? Everybody. I could say something today. Uh, you could read through as you should read through your Bible yourself. You should pray. You should study. And if I say something false, uh, it'll come out pretty quickly. Right? Because you can study yourself. It's not hidden. God's words for everybody, for all people of all nations. We talked about blessings. We talked about encouragement and how we should live. We talked about being poor in spirit and recognizing that God is all we need in a world that says you have everything you need. You don't need God. We talked about, and you hear me say this a lot. My youth hear me say this a lot. We talk about being intentional. What does that mean, being intentional? Intentional. We, we see this just as an example with together we can. So, for instance, we have this with our food distribution now together we hand. So we had this Thanksgiving lunch that you heard me talk about during announcements where, you know, really this was not an advertised event. I didn't push anything out or we didn't as a church push anything out on social media. We didn't do any advertising. Uh, this was just in the bulletin and it was pastor talked about it up here at the pulpit and it was an inreach event. But for inreaching always extends outward. Right, So we had uh, people come through TWC, and we had Ed, and we had so many other people that are so faithful, and, and Marivelle, and, and, and um, Mark, and Dee, all these, all these people that are so faithful in, in uh, working the line where cards come through, and they get to talk to them, and they get to pray with people. And being intentional is taking time to invest in somebody. So that's how we got so many people. It was part of the reason we got so many new people at our Thanksgiving thing is because of the conversations people had intentionally with other people. Asking them, man, what are you doing this holiday? What are you doing this Thanksgiving? And only by doing that can we find out that they don't have anywhere to go. They have nothing to do. Their families are maybe all gone. Maybe they're all alone. We would never know that if we didn't take the time to invest in people and to ask. That's what I mean by being intentional, right? What does the phrase mean? Think about this. You cannot be a Christian sitting down. What does that mean? Or at least not an effective one. Not one God's called us to be. We've got to get up and go. We've got to go into all the world, right? We've got to be intentional with people. We've got to invest in people. We have to look for opportunities. We have to pray with people. We've got to love people. And we can't do that if we're sat in one spot and we never move. So we talked about that last week. One verse we went through that I, I love, and I'll bring it up again today, uh, just because it's so encouraging uh, for me. And, and just so you know, and you probably heard this if you've listened to me teach before, when I prepare a message, when I teach, really, there's just a big mirror right here. I'm just being convicted myself. I'm, I'm seeking scripture myself. How does this apply to me? And this is really what I'm going to encourage all of you to do here today, whether you're in sanctuary or you're online. As we read through this, don't look at your neighbor and be like, you really need to hear this, right? Because I can do that. Can anybody in here do that sometimes, if we're honest? Mm -hmm. Let's think, how does this apply to me? How can this draw me closer to God? How can this help me love people 
more. So in Luke chapter 6, and again, this is from what we were talking about in youth previously, but I want to bring it up because it leads into today's message. It says in Luke chapter 6, verses 32 uh, through 34, if you love only those who love you, why should you get any credit for that? Even sinners love those who love them. And if you do good only to those who do good to you, why should you get credit? Even sinners do that much. And if you lend money only to those of you, of, only to those who can repay you, why should you get credit? Even sinners will lend to other sinners for a full return. How many of us think when somebody asks something of us, and I'll be the first to put my hand up, we always vet it through, what's this going to cost me? Okay, so a couple of you. Awesome. So I'm in good company with a couple of you. The rest of you got, you got it down. We all can do that, for to be honest, right? <clears throat> now, as we grow in the Lord, as we, we walk in faith, as we mature, hopefully we start realizing that we have to prefer others, right? But it's not just an easy thing to do. It doesn't just happen overnight. It's a process. And even people who are really good at it fail, <clears throat> right? And we will until we're in eternity uh, with God. We always judge what we do based on what it'll cost us. Uh, and I know, and whether, and maybe that's financial, but a lot of times it's not financial. That's the easy thing. Usually it's what do you think? My time, my time. And I get that. I've got toddler twins. I don't have a lot of time. My wife has even less time. I get a break because I get to come to work and, and study. She never gets a break, but, but I get that we get busy, but how much value are we putting on somebody? How much are we telling them? We love them when I invest my time into them. And that's what these people were doing out here for Thanksgiving is they, they could have been at home. They could have went out to lunch. They could have been at home watching TV or shopping or doing anything else, but they're here. They're volunteering their time and they're investing in people. So that was a lot of, uh, last week. Now this week, we're going to finish off the book of Luke and we're going to start with one of the most widely known, not the most widely known, but I would venture to say probably one of the most widely known verses that are usually twisted Today, whether you're a Christian or not, doesn't matter. We're hearing it a lot today as Christianity's come under attack even more, at least that we can see in this country. Uh, it's nothing new, but we're starting to see it more and more here in America. And what, what passage do you think that is? What Christian snippet of the Bible do you think people are using now against Christians? Ah, oh, that's it. I knew it. I knew you guys would get it right away. Don't judge me. The Bible does say not to judge, but it goes further than that. Let's pray and we'll jump right into it. Heavenly Father, thank you so much for this time, Lord, to just come together to study your word. And as always, Lord, we ask that we be encouraged in your word, but also that we're needed, we're convicted. I ask, Lord, that all of us, myself included, when we walk out of here today, we walk out of here closer to you. Understanding in your word just a little bit more on how we can love people like you did. Lord, you gave the perfect example. We have your word freely available for all people. We can read it for ourselves, and we just ask that it come alive in us, that we be open to it, that we get out of the way and we let you work. We love you, Lord. We thank you for this time together. In your holy name we pray. Amen. All right, so Luke chapter 6, verse 37, as we kick off today, it says, and starting there in verse 37, do not judge others, and you will not be judged. Do not condemn others or it will come back against you. Forgive others and you will be forgiven. So we start here with this famous don't judge me verse. How many of you here have heard that used as a way to permit 
something. And by that I mean, you can't judge me. Your Bible says don't judge, so now all things should be okay. And we'll talk about that. But who's heard that used in a negative twist? Yeah, most of us at some point have heard that. People, it's a very, very common argument that an atheist will use. Somebody who does not believe in God or believes differently will use that very quickly. You can't judge me because your Bible says don't judge. You don't even know your own Bible. You don't know the thing that you claim uh, to follow. And it parallels Matthew chapter 7. As a matter of fact, we see it break here a little bit. We see the don't judge me lest you be judged. Uh, Jesus saying some other things in there. And then, and then a couple of verses later, it pops in with the rest of the sentence. And we see in Matthew 7, it's kind of all fit together. But these are two different instances here. Do you think that it is, can somebody take one part or one verse in the Bible and change the whole meaning of the passage just by changing the meaning of what that verse uh, says? Yes, we see it a lot. Some people use this passage, don't judge me, uh, and they push the narrative that what Jesus is actually commanding us to do is a universal, he's commanding a universal acceptance of any lifestyle and teaching. Is that what Jesus is doing? And no, and we, and we know that because we'll carry on. When we look at the Bible as the whole counsel of God, now we can certainly get there if I can discount certain parts. If I can pull out parts that I don't like and say, that's not relevant anymore. We don't follow that anymore. It's not culturally appropriate anymore. That might have been fine 2,000 years ago, but, but Jesus didn't understand what it would be like today. Let me tell you something. If you really understand who Jesus is, if the people at the time really understood who Jesus is, who did he claim to be? The I am. Jesus knew. He was there at the very beginning. And he knew the end from the beginning. So what I tell my youth a lot of times, I probably said it a dozen times, and if you have a, a, a student that's in youth, you can even ask them, hey, has pastor ever talked about that? But I, I, I try and make it very clear to them what happens, because let me be quite honest, I can mislead you. I could read scripture and, and think it means something and, and totally in my own sinfulness warp it. But how would you know if I'm doing that? And how would you know if anybody is doing that? If they're taking a verse and they're twisting it, they're warping it, they're taking it out of context, how would you know that? There you go. You pick up your word and you read it. And we're going to see an example of that as we read further. Well, hold on now. We're getting more information. God's explaining what he's talking about. Jesus is explaining what he's talking about. It's so important for, and this is a call for each and every one of you, that you have to study God's word yourself. You have to have a prayer life yourself. You have to read yourself. You can never just come sit on a Sunday, listen to a message, go home and be good. It doesn't work that way. That's not a personal relationship with Jesus. How do you ever expect to know him if you don't read the things that he says? How are you ever going to guard yourself against false teachings if you don't read the things that he says, if you don't inundate yourself in his truth? And I think that's such an important lesson for our youth, and it's an important lesson for all of us. So when someone takes a verse out of context, Obviously, it can change the meaning. What does the Bible say about doing that? Does it say anything about doing that? About preaching another gospel, about twisting the words of Scripture? We don't have to go far. We can look at what Paul said in Galatians chapter 1, verses 8 through 9. Let God's curse fall on anyone 
including us or even angels from heaven, who preaches a different gospel of good news than the one we preach to you. I say again that we have said before, if anyone preaches any other good news than the one you welcomed, let that person be accursed. Is Paul excluding himself from this? No, because we can look all back at the historical documents, all the way back from Genesis, moving all the way forward and read his truth. Isn't it also interesting that he says, even an angel? is to be rejected. So it's on each one of us, ourselves, to search scripture. Never blindly follow man. I'm not the gospel. I'm just a guy. The gospel is the gospel. You got to search it yourself. You got to study it yourself. And so here Jesus is moving in this passage on the Sermon of the Mount. He had primarily dealt with themes connected with interior spiritual life. So he talked about attitudes and giving and prayer and fasting materialism, anxiety, material things. And now he's touching on an important theme related to the way we think and we treat others. See, we remember that Jesus called for a righteousness that was greater at the time, that was greater than who? What did he say when he said, you got to have righteousness greater than the Pharisees, the scribes, the religious elite, these people that were so highly educated at the time that they should have known, and they did know their scripture like the back of their hand. But yet their God was, their this Messiah was, their Jesus was in front of them. And they never even saw him. See, it doesn't matter how well you know the Bible. I can quote chapter and verse to you. Uh, I, I, can, I can know the parables. I can understand the themes. But does that mean that I have a relationship with God at all? No. Maybe you come to church, maybe we come to church on Sundays and we check that box off. And we come Wednesdays and we check that box off. And we come to both Bible studies. But does that bring us any closer to having a relationship with Jesus? No, because it's not the things that we do, it's the relationship. It starts in the heart. Now that will lead to good things. That'll lead to us doing things. But it doesn't get us there. Judge not, that passage there, and you not be judged. That was a command that Jesus was using to warn against judging people, right? Because when we do so, we'll be judged in a similar manner. So it's very apt. It's very accurate that he's reading this specifically to the audience that he was reading it to these Pharisees, but it, don't make no mistake. We can't just point at this verse and say, well, he was just talking to the Pharisees. No, he was talking to me and he was talking to you. He was talking to all of us. It's so easy for us to put on the hat of the Pharisee and play that role too. We do it every day. And just a little later in the same sermon, Matthew chapter 7, verses 15 through 16, we won't pull it up, but Jesus is commanded to know ourselves and others by the fruit of their life. So there is some sort of judgment that we pass naturally on other people. That's just, I mean, the laws in our country, are those not judgments? They're judgments against behavior. We see judgment everywhere we go. We're constantly in our minds judging situations and people. That's just how we are. The question is, are we doing it the way God would have us do it in love and in righteousness. And we'll talk through that. And I would say most of the time we're not. So while this passage does not prohibit examining the lives of other, it prohibits doing it in the spirit that usually it's often done. An example of unjust judgment uh, in the, just in the new Testament could be an example that we see when the 
lady was trying to anoint Jesus with oil. Do you remember that? She comes in, she wants to anoint Jesus, right? His hair, his feet, uh, this expensive oil. And all these, these people that have walked with Jesus and know Jesus and seen the miracles and love Jesus and try and mimic his example. What was the response that they gave to that woman? Were they happy? No. No. They condemned her. You know how much you could get for that? Can't you feed the poor? There's that busy. You know how much we could do for other people? There's that busy. Neglecting the relationship. Neglecting the heart that only Jesus saw with what she was doing. And who did Jesus side with? Did he side with his followers? Did he side with them? Or did he rebuke them? He said, you guys don't even know. She's done a good thing. How else do we break? And, and I'm going to break these down. We've got three, six of them. When I talk through these, think through in your own life, in your own heart, as I have, how does this apply to me? Have I ever done this to other people? How do we uh, judge people unjustly or harshly? Maybe have you ever thought worst about the worst about somebody? Just assume the worst right off the bat, right? What does pastor say up here? We judge people based on their actions, but we tend to judge ourselves based on what? Our intentions. Well, that's not what I meant. But we don't extend that grace to other people. We just assume the worst. What about, do we, we break this command when we only speak to others, of, or we only speak about others' faults? So when I talk about somebody, I only talk about their faults. I only see the bad in them. Have you ever had somebody in your life that hurt you so deeply that when you think about them, all you think about is the bad? You never really look at them as Christ would look at them, even though they may have sinned, sinned against you, deeply hurt you. What about when we judge somebody's entire life only by their worst moments? Here's an example. We have a guy in a position of authority, sees a woman beautiful. Man, I want her to be my wife. I'm going to send her husband off, get him killed. I'm going to take her for my wife. What do we think of that guy? Just on that information alone. But God calls him a man after his own heart, not because of the evil things he did, because we all do evil things. But God doesn't just look at the bad. And I thank him for that. He loves us in spite of our failures even though we fail. What about this? We break this command when we judge the hidden motives of others. I know what you meant by that. I know what you were thinking. We break this command when we judge others without considering ourselves in the same circumstances. And we break this command when we judge others without being mindful that we ourselves are judged. See, this is how all six of these is how we typically pass judgment on people in our mind and our hearts based on what we think they mean, based on their worst moments. We don't even think about, man, do I want God to look at me that way, the way I'm looking at them? Jesus encouraged. Uh, and then, it, so moving on to the next verse in Luke 6, 38, uh, go, we'll see a different theme here about giving. Um, Jesus uh, in Luke 6, 38 says, Give and you will receive. Your gift will return to you in full, pressed down, shaken together, to make room for more, running over and poured into your lap. 
The amount you give will determine the amount you get back. Jesus here is encouraging the freedom to give without fear that we'll become the loser in our giving. He wanted us set free of that fear, right? So he was telling us, hey, I'll take care of you. You just, as I'm leading you, you give. Now, we typically hear this passage and we think money, right? But that's, that's, that's such a small part of what he's saying here. And it's true and it's been tested and we see throughout scripture, maybe you see in your own life that when you do give, whether it's you know, money or, or your time or love or forgiveness or all of that stuff, that, that there is a blessing in that for you. But can Christians twist this passage? Let me give you an example. How many of you have heard in the late night shows or maybe online that, listen, if you sow a gift, here now, hear me now, if you sow a gift of $1,000 today only, because God's blessing is only right now, that he'll return it sevenfold. You want to turn that $1,000 into $7,000? Come on, get your checkbook out. You got to go into retirement savings account? That's okay. Just get it out and trust God. Do you have the faith? How many of you have heard that? How dare us? Now, is that to say that, that God doesn't use money? He does. He uses it in his church. It's how we keep the lights on. I mean, you guys that faithfully give, and forgive me to the ushers, I forgot to ask you to pass out the offering, so just have to forgive me. Um, but, but God uses that for sure. Uh, to keep the lights on, to help run our ministries. And we offer, we, and it's not just money, it's donations. But most importantly, it's people's time, right? God has always given this church and many others exactly what they need to fulfill his plan. That's not an issue. But what I would encourage you to do is, is not so much look at the, the financial piece of this, although that is important and, and God uses that as well. But what else can we give that's not money related, Sometimes it's easy to give the money. It's not so easy to give the time. Let me ask you this then. What about loving somebody? What about to that person that hurt you so deeply? So deeply. Completely betrayed your trust. What about forgiveness? Is that something that you can give? It's not just money. It's love, it's patience, it's forgiveness, it's grace, it's mercy. It's all the things that God freely gives us, yet we struggle so much giving other people. We want it, but I don't want to give it because I feel like it costs me too much. We are never the loser when we give those things after the pattern of God's generosity. It's not easy. We have to get there. But if we always start with a heart of love, God, how would you use me? I can tell you this, and I mean this in all sincerity, the people in my life, and I've had people in my life that have hurt me so deeply, people that the world would tell me going back from the beginning, I hate you, but I don't. Because going through that grief, going through that pain, every time it welled up inside, it drove me to pray, but not just pray to pray for them. God bless that person. Lord, be with that person. Help me see that person the way you see them. And let me tell you, nothing has been more freeing than that. Because I make it not about me. And I had a right to be mad. But, but God forgave me first. And I promise you that if you can get that, 
If you can get to that place, especially if you're struggling with forgiving people, if you could just pray, pray to God for them, pray, pray and pray some more. Every time it hurts, pray. You'll start seeing a difference. I promise you that. When we start preferring others, when we start giving without the expectation of receiving, things get interesting. Carrying on in Luke chapter 6, verses 39 through 40, he goes to another illustration here. And Jesus gave the following illustration. Can one blind person lead another? Won't they both fall into a ditch? Students are not greater than their teachers, but the student who is fully trained will become like the teacher. I love, I just love scripture so much because I'm such a visual person. That's why I think I love one of my favorite passages in the Old Testament. And I don't know if any of this is true for you guys, but it's the end of Job. It's when through all of this pain, and, and we can all relate to the pain Job went through in our lives. But when we see that it gets to a point where Job decides to respond, or, or God decides to respond to Job. And I love that passage so much. It just, I mean, it, 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 a lot of the passages, that one just gives me goosebumps every time I read it. Because I'm such a visual person, I can picture that response. And, and just like... Um, here, I can picture this blind person leading another blind person. I don't mean to make light of somebody who's blind. That's not the intent at all. And that's not what he was doing. He was illustrating that you, one blind person can't guide another blind person on where to go. It just doesn't work. It's very practical. It doesn't work that way. So likewise, what does the world tell us that we can take comfort in? What are the things that we have in the world that people will rely on to give them hope? Maybe psychiatry, psychology, and it's not to diminish them. It's not to say that God can't use psychiatrists and psychologists to help people. I'm not saying that at all. But sometimes we focus so much on that, that that's where our hope is, right? What about influencers? Social media, if you don't know what that is, that's somebody who's on Instagram or Facebook that, that influences other people, that people will then tune in and look to to think, oh, I want to try that makeup or that clothesline or that product or, or oh, they really encouraged me. Uh, with their story. That's an influencer. What else does the world look to? Hollywood? Movies? Self-help? Self-help book? The latest bestseller on self-help? See, we put all... And as we see, we'll see at the end of the message today when we talk about building a foundation on the rock versus on the sand. That's all sand stuff. That's all stuff that really the hope is empty. Jesus is the only hope. And the point here is that we need to follow Jesus, right? Because the blind leading the blind leading to a pit, what's that representative of? What is that pit? Eternal separation from God. When we follow the world, we follow him right into the pit. When we cling to Jesus, we follow him where he's going. Though the Pharisees and the teachers of the law had scrolls and interpreted them in the synagogues, this does not mean, again, that they really understood them. I talked about this earlier. Just because they knew what it said, they had no idea who Jesus was. And he was right there in front of them. Jesus' whole ministry revolved around people. Matter of fact, we see in this scenario there where uh, Matthew is hosting a dinner and he's got... Uh, Matthew, and he's got people that used to be prostitutes, and he's got all these people that they said were sinners at the time, and the, the Pharisees walk by and they see it. How did they react to that situation? With disbelief. Why are you with all these people? Don't you know who that guy is? And don't you know who she is and what she did? 
And what was Jesus' response to that? Healthy people don't need a doctor. But sick people do. And let me tell you, I promise you, we're a room full of sick people. And we struggle every day. Remember in verse 37, when we threw the do not judge verse, we're going to follow that principle of reading the before and the after, looking at the context. And let's see if it adds information to what Jesus is saying here, because he's saying how he's instructing us on how to judge righteously and not how we usually do it unrighteously. So going on in verse 41 through 42, it says, and why worry about the speck in your friend's eye when you have a log in your own eye? How can you think of saying, friend, let me help you get rid of that speck in your eye when you can't see past the log in your own? Hypocrite. Hypocrite. First, get rid of the log in your own eye, then you'll see well enough to deal with the speck in your friend's eye. Does this change that if we took that initial meeting and said, don't judge, end of story, all things are permissible, What's our understand? How does that change when I understand context and I read the before and the after? Does it change it? Now all of a sudden it's from don't judge to be very careful. Start with your own heart. Do it in humility. Do it out of love. Matter of fact, we see here, it says can, in verse 42, how can you think of saying friend? There's an intimacy to that. An intentional Intimacy. It's not just, hey, you, it's, hey, friend, let me help you. It's not standing with the sign, spitting as you're yelling so aggressively that your food's coming out, that you're just yelling at him, calling him a sinner. Pharisees did all that. What did Jesus do? To the leper, to the person that nobody would walk intentionally around. What did Jesus do to the leper? To the leper. He went and touched him. Healed him. Talk to him. What about the woman at the well who was cast out, Samaritan woman? He went to her. He went to people. He loved people. And that's what this is talking about. It's that intentional, let me help you. If I look at my story, and God will always use your testimony to help others that go, have gone through or are going through similar things uh, that you are. So maybe it was my own testimony when I was younger, when my addiction to uh, pornography, maybe God sends me somebody who's struggling with that, which he has many times just in this last year. I know what it's like. I've been there, but it's not for me to judge you. It's for me to have compassion, for me to love you, for me to walk you through, man, there's a different way. This is how God can use you. It's not hopeless, right? So now all of a sudden it's not judgmental, but I'm trying to help you through my humility and through, through my vulnerability, really not humility, but vulnerability in sharing my testimony. And God will use all of your testimonies to help others that have gone through similar things. And that's why it's such a disservice when you hide behind it or when we hide behind it when we don't want to share a testimony. Again, it's instructions on how to judge righteously. Going on in verse 43 through 45 in Luke chapter 6. A good tree can't produce bad fruit and a bad tree can't produce good fruit. A tree is identified by its fruit. Figs are never gathered from thorn bushes and grapes are not picked from bramble bushes. A good person produces good things from a treasury of a good heart and an evil person produces evil things from a treasury of an evil heart. What you say flows from what your heart 
of what's in your heart. So what is that, when we think of that imagery in our head, a treasury of a good heart, a treasury of an evil heart, what does treasuries do? What is the point of a treasury? It stores, right? Usually wealth, it stores something. So this is telling us that we're storing up something that will eventually come out. Now, how do I store good things up? How do I do that practically? How do I store good things up? When I'm reading God's word, spending time with him, am I storing good things up? When I'm worshiping God, am I storing good things up? When I'm around fellow believers and I'm in godly fellowship with people, I'm storing good things up. Everything that I allow to come into my ear, into my head, into my heart is all a message. It's all a sermon. Alternatively, if all I'm surrounding myself with are things not of God, if all I'm listening to are things that aren't holy, that aren't leading me towards a reverence and a love and a worship of God, then eventually that stuff comes out too. So basically good in, good out, evil in, evil out. That's why it's so important as parents for us to be very careful with what we let our kids surround themselves with. Excuse me. See, our words reveal more about our heart than anything. Our words say more about us than we think. And we'll wrap up this week's message here. I call it with a knife and a video. And the reason that I say that is because it's going to be hopefully convicting to all of us at some level. And the video perfectly highlights that. But before we do that, I'll read the passage. And it's going to end in Luke chapter 6. It'll be verse 46 through 49. And please, as we read through this, reflect on this in your own heart where you're at. Think about your own life. Think about your relationship with the Lord. Excuse me. Luke chapter 6, verses 46 through 49. So why do you keep calling me Lord, Lord, when you don't do what I say? I will show you what it's like when someone comes to me, listens to my teaching, and follows it. It's like a person building a house who digs deep and lays a foundation on solid rock. When the floodwaters rise and breaks against the house, it stands firm because it is well built. So he shows us what it looks like when we do these things. And now we're going to see what it looks like when we don't. But anyone who hears, we're all hearing today, but doesn't obey is like a person who builds a house right on the ground without a foundation. When the floods sweep down against the house, it will collapse into a heap of ruins. And this really is the question as we finish Luke chapter 6 for us today. I know there's several themes that he was talking about in here, but this is a great place to close because the question is today, if we, myself included, if we're hearing, but we're not obeying God's word, why do we even call ourselves a Christian? To all the wrong in the world, to all the hopelessness, and there is abundant hopelessness in the world. Jesus is the only answer. Jesus is the rock. If you're watching online, you won't be able to see this video as we get ready to play it, but um, they did link it on the description of the video, so you can then click that link and watch it if you'd like to. It's about three and a half minutes, roughly. Uh, So go ahead and take time to watch this video, if you would, please.
And I love, I love the words that they, the descriptor they use there is that Jesus is the rock, bottom line. That's where our foundation has to be. And the ocean is the sin and the filth and the distractions and all the promises of this world. And, and you saw as he was in the ocean, and I love the way that they played it out in this video as that water was rising, because that's this world. We will drown in sin, in hopelessness, and either the waves will overtake us or the rock will break the waves. And Jesus has to be our rock. And how do we build, how, how is that foundation laid? Because because Jesus already did the work. He came fully God, fully man, died for our sins on the cross. That we could spend eternity, that veil was torn, giving us access to God. And we can spend eternity with him by the sacrifice that Jesus did. But what does it look like to build on that foundation? And he shows us in verse 47. As I'll invite the worship team out as we close here. He says, I will show you what it's like. Referencing building on the rock. When one, you come to me. Two, you listen to my teachings, which is his word. And we always leave out the last part. Because we want all the goods without obeying. Come to me, listen, and obey. And it's not our works, guys. I'm not saying that it's our works that get us into heaven. Because you can work as hard as you want. And you'll never get there. It's only by the free gift that God gave us. Come to Jesus, listen to his teachings, teachings and follow it. If you don't know, if you don't have a relationship with Jesus today, it starts in your heart. Just cry out to God wherever you're at. There's no prayer that'll get you there. It's something in your heart. You can say, I accept you, Jesus, and never believe it. It has to be from your heart. You have to accept Jesus, understand, and, and believe in your heart that he came down, he died, and he rose again for the forgiveness of sins. I would love to pray with you today if there's anything you need prayer with. Uh, Larry will be up here. There's other people that would love to pray with you, even the people around you. We're called to pray together. But I would just encourage you today, seek Jesus. And, and, and I hope today, I hope through this message that you were as convicted and encouraged as I was. And, and if you were, then just thank God for that. Thank God that he loves us enough to convict us. And he loves us enough to encourage us. And he loves us enough not to leave us where we're at. Well, let's pray. Heavenly Father, thank you so much for this time again together. And thank you that you love us enough to never leave us where we're at. Thank you for coming down on this earth. Like Larry was talking about in worship, putting on filthy rags. And Lord, we know that we don't deserve your love, but you offer it freely. Thank you. Thank you. Lord, for anybody hurting in here, anybody suffering, anybody that feels hopeless, Lord, may they just know that there's hope in you, that you never fail us, you never leave us, you're always faithful. In your holy name we pray, amen.
so tender.